Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Friends, welcome. We are here for another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. And it's easy to say today is a time and a conversation here that I've been waiting to have for many, many months. Friend through technology and all that we have today and through cell phones, Jonathan Pitts, Gosh, we've been talking for quite a while about you doing something with me, with the Gathering of the Miami Valley, churches in Springfield, and now that day is here. So welcome, Jonathan Pitts. Jeff, it's good to be with you. Finally, we've been trying to work it out for a long time. but It uh, has been. Yeah, Zoom is a, a good way to go. Podcast, good way to go. I'm excited to be with you today. 100%. So let me give a little backdrop here as people would listen to this. And I've told you this before, so hopefully it's not feeling brutal. I I mean, this is a compliment, but I'll never forget the night we took about 25 or 30 guys uh, to a movie theater close by. We got the one night thing going with Kingdom Man with Tony Evans and his sons and Tim Brown and Lecrae and the list goes on and on. And when they make the little images on the screen, everybody's going to be involved in this. I knew everybody on that screen, but one person, the one person was Jonathan Pitts. And, you know, this is just how cynical I can be sometimes. I'm like, well, great. Okay, John Kitney, yes, I know all these people. And I'm like, okay, well, whoever this Jonathan Pitts guy is, be quick so we can get on to the, uh, the main event of sorts. <laughs> well, who, who knew, but that night, God would say to me, the main event is Jonathan Pitts. And your story and who you are and what God is doing just radiated in my heart and soul like nobody's business. And I remember walking out of that theater and some of the guys had to leave. Most of them were still there. And we went to the, a corner of the theater and kind of debriefed what we were thinking and what we were feeling about the movie. And I just said, I can't even speak about anything else other than Jonathan Pitts. And we made contact. I reached out to you. You were easily accessible, which I'm still grateful for that. And uh, I think I've told you that before. Maybe not quite that way, but uh, I hope that doesn't make, mean you want to reach across the phone and smack me upside the head or anything <laughs> nah, like that. A- but. It's endearing, man. It's endearing. It's, uh, you know, I, I remember when they asked me to be a part of Kingdom Man Rising. I'm like, why would you, why would you want me for it? And, um, you know, didn't even, at that point, I was still in the middle of some of the hardest parts of, of my story that make it into that film. But anyway, it's an honor, honor to be with Dr. Evans. You know, I'd worked for him for several years, over 10 years at that point. And yeah, just a real honor to be a part of anything that he would do, let alone kind of be a be a face on it. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great joy. And it's okay. I didn't nobody knew who I was then. And barely anybody knows who I am now. So there we go. <laughs> well, and let me let me say, I bet that what I've said in my experience and where I came out of there really being most enamored, drawn to clicking with you. This is probably not the first time you've heard that from someone like me. I'm sure other people have said you struck a chord with them the way you did me. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I've I've gotten a lot of encouragement from Kingdom and Rising, and you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, your transparency, your honesty, just around my story and the loss and all that were just impactful. You know, one of the things I don't 
know why i can see what they're saying it's just how i'm wired though the transparency the vulnerability is just mm-hmm. who i am so i i think it's less about what i bring to the table and more about how god's wired me and how that mm-hmm. connects how he connects through me in in certain environments and that film would be one of them and mm-hmm. yeah it's been it was a great honor to be a part of it actually just came out and, and filmed it something it's a much shorter um, little tribute kind of thing that i'm doing with him but it's, it's always fun to be connected to dr oh. evans and honestly when i left his ministry one of the was one of the greatest prayers i had was god please don't let me not be connected to him. So this is actually a really permanent, beautiful way to be connected to him. So speak yeah. to something about him or his family, obviously. And it's funny, sometimes people are not aware that Priscilla Shire is his daughter. Um, mm-hmm. What about Tony Evans is something that, you know, he, he's obviously in, in Christian circles out there big time. People know through books, through the Urban Alternative, which you, you were a huge part of, all these various outlets about Tony Evans. What is something about him that we don't know where maybe he's even more impressive as far as the man of God that he is that maybe nobody else would have insight into, but someone like you. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be uh, probably his humility. Um, I think people hear him on stage and he's obviously a big presence and, you know, off stage, he's, he's actually um, soft-spoken, quieter. Oftentimes people think, you know, I've, I've been around him sometimes and people might be a little bit offended. Like, uh, you know, like they introduce themselves and like, you saved my life or this happened. And he's really quiet and, he's just a really humble, quiet man. And who he is on the stage is he's operating out of this incredible gift and off stage, He's kind of a regular guy that loves football and loves family. And uh, you get him talking about football or family and you can get him in a conversation, but um, yeah, his humility rings through. I'll never forget one time asking him really early on in my career with him. I said, you know, how do, how do you remain so humble? And he told me, he said, I, I intentionally deny myself things I don't need in order to remind myself of who I am. I mean, oh, it's just wow. like a a beautiful way to live. Like I've always watched him deny himself stuff that he could have, you know, wow. like easily could have. And he's just like, I don't need it. It's not who I am. I don't need it. And so I watched him live, live a really humble life. And that comes through not in not not just in his lifestyle, but also um, in his relationships. You know, he's all about family. He's all about the community that he's a, that he's a part of. Mm-hmm. He's this big national figure that actually just loves being at home and being at his church and being with his neighbors and being in the community that he's helped build. And it's really beautiful. Well, you know, there's scenes in the movie where he's at the barbershop and, you know, Tim Brown mm-hmm. and his sons and I'm trying to think who else was there. Was that... Uh, Kirk Franklin. Uh, Kirk Franklin. Yeah. It felt very genuine. Like those type of conversations you hear people talk about, you know, sadly uh, in bars more than the church oftentimes or in a barbershop or whatever, they seem very genuine. Like they didn't have to turn that switch on and make it happen. Like that's just what who they are and what they do. Yeah. I mean, Kirk's a real friend. Dr. Evans really discipled him from a young, as he was a young Christian, young up and comer in, in the music industry. Dr. Evans would be the guy that he would say is this spiritual dad in a way and um and mentor and uh tim brown a little bit different but yeah great relationship with him and those are guys that live in our community that do life with dr evans and um so it was very authentic very real and actually speaks to one of the things that dr evans has been that one of the things i've really loved he's had a massive influence in sports and entertainment specifically sports so you think about guys like tim brown that were playing football in the in the late 80s i guess early 90s you know dr evans was the chaplain of the cowboys Mm -hmm. and during the Landry years and became the chaplain again for a short stint. I think it was Bill Parcells, a couple of Bill Parcells years. And, uh, you know, son, Jonathan Evans is a chaplain, but they've, their family has had such a massive impact, uh, specifically in the NFL and the NBA. You, you don't meet a Christian in one of those sports that don't know Tony Evans. Cause he's had an influence through, um, mentoring, being a chaplain, opening his home for Bible studies for the Cowboys, um, at times. And, uh, it's been, it's actually a really, really cool. One of the best kept secrets about one of his investments, uh, in uh in our world 
That's so neat. Yeah, here's a great story. I don't think I've told you this. So I was at the uh, Final Four in San Antonio in 1998. That was uh, Utah playing Kentucky in a national championship game. And one of the things people like me who are groupies of college basketball, and I've been to some Final Fours, you go to the hotels and you know that's where the teams are and the announcers and they have the big coaches clinic there every year. And you go to the hotel and kind of hang out in the lobby and you can see a lot of uh, recruiting going on when an, an athletic director or coach is looking for a new coach or hiring assistant coaches or whatever. And it's just, there's a lot of activity and a lot of energy and it's, it's fun to be there. So I was standing by a big area where there were a lot of elevators uh, at this one hotel. And there were a couple other guys close to me and my dad and they were kind of doing the same thing. And so I'm with my dad and I take off towards this one elevator. I see this guy get off that I recognize and I go over and I start talking to him and we have a nice little conversation and it was brief. And those two guys walked over to me and they were totally enamored. They're like, well, that guy clearly knows what's going on. Who was he just talking to? And I said, oh, that's Tony Evans. He's a pastor here in Dallas. You know, we're in San Antonio. And they were like, oh, oh. they had no clue. But I was pretty excited. <laughs> and Tony and I got to talk that's a little funny. bit. And uh, it was just so fun. To, they're thinking it's some guy that they should know who he is in college basketball. And it was somebody in my mind who I, I really respect and had a lot of uh, props given to him. So why don't you tell us, Jonathan, give us like the three-minute version of your testimony of you coming to Christ and what, what that moment was like in your life. Yeah, I um I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I would say there's never there was never a day where I didn't feel like I knew the Lord. My parents, uh, a guy named Gary Pitts, Miriam Pitts, my dad's African American guy from New Jersey. I uh, met my mom, this German American Lutheran girl from uh, from Iowa, and they fell in love, met the Holy Spirit, and he just did a deep work in their lives. And they had five kiddos. Um, I have an tw- identical twin brother, and I would say my my parents. They, they, they always worked in, they never worked in ministry. They always kind of just volunteered. They did ministry, but they worked in like regular careers. And, you know, they always invested in us beyond what the church ever did. And I would say, you know, a pediatrician would say, you know, you don't get to choose what your uh, kids eat, but you do get to choose the options. And uh, you can put vegetables in front of them, or you can put fatty foods in front of them, whatever you want to do. But, you know, you get to choose the options They and they, they choose whether they eat it or not. And I would say my parents force fed me the gospel like they force fed me broccoli and it wasn't in a in a forceful way though they basically just provided the option of a gospel centered life and lived it out in a way uh, really authentically in a way when i really came face to face with the world i really just chose the better option you know you i got to college um grew up in south jersey got to college in uh, philadelphia drexel university and their team that made it to the uh tournament this year mm-hmm. right drexel i don't mm-hmm. know if you remember drexel oh I yeah drexel but um power anyway. power five um, are the, the, the palester where they play all those games up there right right so anyway i got to college and really you know grew up in a christian home and re- a really um incubated kind of environment and it was the first time i was able to actually figure out what the world's really about and all i can say is i tasted the world and mm-hmm it didn't taste anywhere near as appetizing or nutritious as the kingdom of God. And that's Mm. the thing I credit my parents for is not only inviting me into the kingdom of God, but then also living it out in a way where I couldn't deny its potency and power. And so I would just say um, my testimony is that I've tasted and seen that God is good. And I'm thankful for parents that allow me to have that testimony. I'll never forget uh, one of my favorite preachers, Matt Chandler saying, he said for kids that are jealous of kids like him that got kind of radically saved, don't be because you know, you don't have to experience some of the things that others experience. And I, my, my life is one where my experiences were kind of limited. And, the, you know, I, my my small taste of the world 
were really bitter. Um, and my need was just as desperate as anybody else's though. And I, I realized it in those college years when I realized I was just as human and just as sinful as anybody else. But mm. yeah, tasted and seen that the, that the Lord is good and just continue to taste and continue to try to feed my girls, my four girls as well. So Wow, you just hit one of my favorite verses there, Psalm 34, 8. Yeah. Um, so Jonathan, uh, let's speed up. So you had a book that came out February 9th, My Winter Season. That is what captivated many in the movie Kingdom Men Rising. So kind of share for those that are not familiar with your winter season. Yeah. So uh, I would marry a girl named Winter in 2003, went to college with her, Winter Danielle Evans. Uh, she was the niece of Dr. Tony Evans and got married two weeks after graduating from Drexel in Philly, moved to South Jersey, had our first daughter. Then we actually threw a I don't, God's providence, I guess I'd say we went to Dallas on vacation just to visit her quote unquote uncle. Little did I know that I'd be walking into, um, you know, this little tiny ministry called Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in the Urban Alternative, Dr. Evans Ministries. And it was a massive world of ministry that God would actually through bringing me into family would bring me into ministry by accident with them, or at least it was accident to me. And so I served uh, his son, Anthony Evans, for seven years as his manager, uh, as, he's a singer, worship leader, and then I would serve him as executive director of his ministry for seven years as well. We'd have three more daughters, and we'd end up with four girls under the age of six, five and under, four girls at one time. And uh, Winter, who was a grant writer by trade, decided to come home and be with our girls. And so while I was building this ministry career, she actually, through her own kind of uh, sort of a mistake, created this magazine called For Girls Like You Magazine. She was looking for resources for our girls and couldn't find them. And so she just started to create her own and would end up building this magazine. She'd end up pub publishing a bunch of books for tween girls, uh, just like the age our girls were at that point. And we actually decided um, that we were moving into a new phase of life in 2018. Our girls were then 14, 11, and our twins were nine, twin nine-year-olds. And um, uh, on July 24th, 2018, a week after we moved to Nashville for me to pastor, be an executive pastor at Church of the City in Franklin, Tennessee, felt like a, the right move, the next move for us. Winter would suddenly and unexpectedly pass away in my arms uh, in the in the city that we would have we lived for 14 years and um, it was the most tragic day of my life. I lost my wife. I lost my best friend. My girls lost their mom, and the world lost just a spiritual giant. Winter was a, a beautiful girl that didn't. She wasn't like a strategic thinker. She wasn't a planner, but she was a dreamer. And I watched God take a girl who had a dream at 21 years old to write a book that she didn't know what she wanted to write about and birth a whole entire ministry and purpose. And so when she was 38 years old, um, she left this earth, but she didn't leave it without leaving a legacy. Uh, there's a verse, uh, Acts 13, 38 says that David served the purposes of God for his generation. And then he fell asleep. And I always like to think that winter, I don't know why she would leave this earth so soon, why she would leave our daughters at age 14, 11 and twins at nine, but she certainly served the purposes of God. And built that ministry, but also with, with our girls, she invested so much time and energy in them and knew that every moment of her life mattered for them. And so when she left, she didn't leave them without a piece of herself. And so my girls now, four girls, uh, two and a half, almost three years later, are really resilient girls who know they are, know who they are, they know who they are in Christ, and their mom played a massive um, part in that. And so since then, uh, I've been uh, living in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, pastoring at Church of the City for the last two and a half years. It's been a massive incubator and um, a beautiful place to figure out who I am without winter and wrote the book. Really, the book is a um, God was really the right before. What's funny is Psalm 34, eight would be my life first taste and see that the Lord is good. But the verse before that Psalm 34, seven says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. And I would say the book itself is this 
I guess I'd call it a, uh, a memoir or just my story of seeing God rescue me and his people be ministering angels to me um, in the greatest loss of my life. And just watching how God was like, just so providential, so sovereign, even in the move. Like I, if we didn't move here, I would have been working for Winter's Uncle, which would have been awesome. But even in moving, airlifting us out, moving us here to Franklin, God gave us like this incubator that would be a place where I could find myself and 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 grieve without being every day, every moment reminded reminded of what I lost. So it's just been a really sweet season, and um, God's been kind. He's taken care of us. My sister, who had never been married, never had kids, moved in and really uh, has become like a, a surrogate mom to the girls for a season and an amazing helper to me. And uh, it's been good. God's been really kind. Okay. So I don't me. think I knew that. So when did your sister move in? She told me the day of Winter's funeral. She said, I feel like the Lord told me if you need me, I'm supposed to come. So she basically, that was uh, July 29th of 2018. I thought I would make it by myself. And two weeks later, I burned a chicken. My girls were laughing at me. I went upstairs crying and I called my sister and said, Hey, is that offer still on the table? And, uh, Two weeks later, three weeks later, uh, Labor Day weekend, she came with three suitcases. She had sold her car and uh, broke her lease in the place she was staying at and um, came to be with me. So she's been with me ever since. And it's been really beautiful to watch how it's, it's it gives like another perspective on singles ministry. You know, here she is mm. praying for her husband, praying for family and kids, which I still pray that God gives her. But in that time, this time of being single, like she's just given her life to the Lord, which means she's given her life to me and my girls. And um, we will never be able to pay her back for the way mm-hmm. that she's loved us. And, and how old is and, she, Jonathan? Uh, given her life for us. Uh, I'm 41, so she's 43. Wow. Was she in Jersey yeah. or where so, was she at? She was in Jersey where I grew up. Yeah, South Jersey and and came here. And now this is home to her now. It's actually really beautiful just to watch even how God provided for us and bring her to us. But God's also provided for her. She's built a new community, new friends. And it's been really, really beautiful for all of us. So you literally have the moment of her like, okay, well, I need to take her up on this when you burn the chicken. You got to say a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think I was just this type A driver, you know, I'm coming to pass for this new town. I'm like, I got this, I can make it. And it was one of the first of many realizations that I'm human and I'm limited. And that moment, that time of loss, like you realize how limited you are, uh, how human you are. And I had no capacity and what was beautiful was the church basically said, hey, when, you know, I was supposed to start my job on August 1st, which died July 24th. And my boss, Darren Whitehead, said, hey, if if you come, um, if you stay, if you want to stay in Dallas, we'll, we'll, we'll sell your house. We'll help you get your stuff back to, to Dallas. But if you come, you'll find a family that's ready to, to adopt you. And he, I, he they adopted us. And he, he said, I don't want to see you until after Labor Day, at least take, you know, five, six weeks off, take more if you need it. But between the church and then my sister coming, I mean, I, she just filled gaps that I didn't didn't even know I would have. Mm-hmm. Like, how was I going to get my girls to school? How I was going to how was going to work? How was I going to as a pastor? You do stuff in the evenings. How was I going to do that? Like, it she really has been a gift that I would not be able to live this life without. So you know, it's so the version of life God gave me anyway. You know, what's so interesting about what you said. So I've wondered a lot of those questions, and I, like I said, I did not realize. I guess we hadn't discussed it, but I didn't know your sister lived with you. So I've wondered. Like, how does Jonathan do this? And how does Jonathan do that? Because, I mean, life seems to have really, in no way is this making light of winter, but like you said, you guys do seem like you're in a very sweet season and a lot of little things that seem like they would need attention. It just, I, I just assumed you breeze past it, but that really, to me, makes your sister a real hero and just what a, what a great part of that story that that is and you guys' relationship and where that's clearly only grown. It's honestly like, 
there's no way I could do what I what I'm doing right now without her. There's no way I would have like I think most people think they think about my life and they're like, man, he's a single dad. And I, I've never for one day felt like a single dad, and that is a gift. Mm-hmm. And everybody doesn't get that. I don't know why God chose, and maybe it's just the plans that He has for me specifically. He knew I would need that, and you know, I know a lot of times men get married really quick because it's just you have a bunch of kids. It's impossible to do it without without someone. So one of the things I'm really grateful for is. You know, I was just able to just take my time and focus on my own grief because my mm-hmm. sister came in. I didn't have to think about, you know, some of the things some men think about just marrying real fast just to get sure. some help, you know, and I don't mean to make light of anybody's situation, but I'm, I'm just thankful that God worked it out mm-hmm. the way that he did. And it just allowed me to take my time and, and grieve and just focus on just where I was. So speaking of grief, I saw an interview the other day, Toby Mack being interviewed talking about his son Truett's death. I heard Mm. Mac Powell recently on an interview talking about his wife went through a pretty significant uh, ordeal with an aneurysm recently. And both of them were saying almost the same thing, like Jesus is Jesus and you can love him with everything you got until, and then everything becomes real. And Mm. there's got to be a similar thread there for you. Like, here's my life loving Jesus. It was the best alternative you referenced, like even comparing it to food. It's the healthy Mm -hmm. way, taste in the world, and it doesn't satisfy because you just, everything I've ever seen and heard, we've talked before on the phone a few times, and there's nothing about you that says bitter, God, what are you doing? You just seem like you've always trusted God's plan. And talk about that as it relates to grief. Talk about that as how does that relate that Jesus became that much more real and it wasn't just something you thought about or whatever. You lived it. And where did he step into those tough, hurtful places where you needed to grieve? Yeah, it's really interesting because the thing that I'll never forget, even at the hospital, the, the the evening that Winter passed away, there was not a shadow of a doubt in my mind that Winter left that body, that her soul left her body and went to be with Jesus. And it really just confirmed what I've always believed for me. Like what I believed kind of in like a ethereal way became a reality to me and it confirmed my faith. Like I, it confirmed like the the hope that I had within when she left this earth was confirmed in a way that I don't know how you walk this life, how you walk this earth and go through something like that without hope and make it. And so, yeah, just confirm what I've always believed. I think it's, what's funny is things have gotten harder as things have normalized, like the more normal life has gotten Mm. and the more I've had to have put faith, you know, one foot in front of the other in, in regular circumstances, the harder it is to have faith. I found that it's easiest to have faith in the hardest times because it's all I have. Jesus was all I had. So I remember even just worshiping, like uh, leading my girls in a worship song, I sang it winter on her deathbed, whatever you call it. Like she's at the hospital. I, I was singing to her in her ear. I sang to my girls after I told them that their mom went home to be with Jesus. We sang in the bed that night, like nothing else to do, but just call it to God. And it was, it was intuitive. I guess I wouldn't say natural because I've been trained in it, but it was intuitive. And so I'm grateful for that. But as life is normalized and, you know, I've gone back to some of the regular things in life, you know, putting one faith step in front of the other has gotten difficult again. And in some ways I, I kind of envy my, my old self because faith actually came easier to me in the harder times, which I think just confirms, like, I think that's what God does for all of us. When we walk through hard times, if we're walking with him, growing in him in the hardest of times, he will show up and we will recognize him. Amen. So you refer, okay, I'm going to go ahead and jump to what you just said this. You were talking about the song. The song is greater. You Lord, you're mm-hmm. probably annoyed with me because every time I hear that song now and I'm at a worship service, I either screenshot it or I video it and I send it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that song, I can literally, can, and that's a great song. I cannot hear that song, either A, get emotional or B, not think of you. Because the way you've told that story, I've seen it multiple places related to you. 
it, it just makes that thing come alive. So maybe speak to that. I mean, it was your experience, not mine. I'm only living that secondhand through you. But uh, music to me ministers to my soul. So speak more to the power of a song when you're going through what you did and maybe that song specifically with you and your girls. Yeah, I mean, I'll just set up the moment. You know, I'm standing outside of the emergency room and I'm pacing back and forth. One side of my brain is thinking, Jesus, do a miracle and bring winter back. The other side of my brain is thinking she hasn't breathed a breath in more than 25, 30 minutes. Like, God, if you don't do a miracle, I'm going to have to walk in another room and tell my girls that their mom's not here. And so I'm standing there going through that, pacing back and forth. And an attendant comes out and just says, hey, we had a pulse and yeah, the pulse is gone. And um, we don't have a heartbeat. Uh, you may want to come say goodbye to your wife, which were the words I was waiting for that I didn't want to hear. But I walked into that room. I'll never forget walking in and like still the the machine that uh, basically does artificial uh, CPR is like pumping her chest still. And it's just like an awful scene. And I walk up beside her. There's doctors everywhere still. And they're beginning to untouch equipment and do all that stuff. And all of that kind of went out of my mind for a second. And I lean my cheek next to her cheek, my tears kind of on her face. I'll never forget the warmth of my tears on her face. And then I just began like instinctively just to sing. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out a praise, pour out a praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out a praise to you only. Great are you, God. And I just sang that through like a couple times, just the chorus. And um, I think in that moment, I, I share it in the book, but I just share, I, I really believe what I was doing was reminding her of where she was going and reminding myself of the God that still had breath in my lungs and that I would be okay. And I just said a couple of times, babe, you don't have to worry about the girls. I've got mm. them. I'll take care of the girls. I've got them. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And that was it. But music is, it's interesting because Music has always played a really vital part in my life. Worship. I grew up in a very worship, worshipful home, singing parents, uh, musicians, and worship's what we've done in the hardest of times. I remember, remember trying to figure out where our next, you know, check was going to come from my, when my dad was out of out of work, and we'd sing around the table at dinner. And so I sang the winter at our wedding. I sang the winter at that that bedside right there. I sang with my girls in the in the the little room where I told them that their mom went to be with Jesus. And honestly, we've been singing ever since, just whenever we face hard times. And there've been a lot of hard times since then. So, but music's always been critical. Worship's always been critical. And I'm grateful for how God's just met us in it. What a gift. I mean, I, you know, just as you sang that, um, man, Jonathan, can you leave me a voicemail and you sing that song in full? I mean, that, that, that <laughs> I can't tell you, man, I, I got quickly into the throne room, just you doing that right there. So we're going to go off, off the course here a little bit where I do these five silly questions. I call the rapid five. And okay. you, got, you got them ahead of time. I hope you got a chance to look at them. So we'll be quick. I didn't even better. Oh. I, I don't even know what's coming. So let's Ooh. do it. Okay. So you got to think on your feet here. The first one, Jonathan is what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Favorite childhood snack, Red Hots. Ooh. And Every, they're still my favorite snack. Wow. Everybody jumps to like uh Frankenberry or Count Chocula or Fruit Loops and you threw nah, a total cinnamon, twist. cinnamon candy, man. Cinnamon wow, candy. Wow, look at you. Okay, what is your favorite biography, leadership, spiritual formation book that you most would want to gift to other people? Not your favorite one you've read. Which one would you most want to get in the hands of other people? The Attentive Life by Leighton Ford. Ooh. ooh. Yeah, it's actually a really beautiful, it's kind of poetic. It's basically about the the art of looking for God um, in all things, finding Le God in all things and all things in God. You're going to get a text from me back just saying that name. Don't respond to it. That's for me to remember that. Thank you. That's good. Your family, you and the girls, you are vacationing. You leave Franklin. Let's say you're heading to, uh, you're heading to Destin and you get halfway through, you're wanting to go get a bite to eat 
one of the girls has to stop 10 minutes early. You got to go to the bathroom and you're not sure where to go. You weren't prepared. You look at the sign and we're going to pull in some of your West Coast action here. You've got Chick-fil-A, McDonald's and In-N-Out Burger. Which one are you choosing? Chick-fil-A in a heartbeat. Not even a question. Wow. Is that any kind of negative towards In-N-Out Burger? You know, I've just never been a big fan. Love that they're a godly family, like the Chick-fil-A family. Um, the burgers are decent to me, but their fries are disappointing. If I could have McDonald's fries with uh, In-N-Out Burger, it would compete with Chick-fil-A to me. So, Jonathan, you, On have, some days. you have clearly not seen the movie Supersize Me because if you saw the extras and the experiment they did with McDonald's fries, you would not have that answer. La, 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 I'm not <laughs> Hey, you know what's funny? So I got several friends in the chicken business between Lee's Chicken here and Chick-fil-A. He did a version two of the movie, and it's all about the chicken industry and restaurants, which they're not really fans of me talking about that documentary because it doesn't put chicken restaurants in a huge light with all the, not so much of them, but what goes on behind the scenes with chickens. Man, yeah, you can't watch any documentaries these days because they all just tear down the things we love. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't do it. So I just... I just avoid Netflix and I'm okay. So here's what's really funny. I'll, I'll tell you the side note. So I have a buddy. He's one of the most interesting guys you'll ever meet in your life. And he says, he's got this conspiracy theory, which I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but he said, do you notice how we've got all these chickens? Think about all the food that we consume that's chicken. He goes, mm-hmm. where do you where do you ever go and see a whole bunch of chickens? Right, You don't. He goes, so where are they all at? Like we're eating them a lot. We consume a whole lot of chicken. Where's the chicken farm that has all the chickens? And I'm like, that is true. You so I told him he's a brilliant guy. He could take any topic and he can debate it. Doesn't know the Lord, but he uh, is a very, he's, if God said you can have anybody come to Christ tomorrow, who would it be outside of family? He'd be on my list, but he's got this chicken theory and it's amazing. Wow. But as his point's taken, I mean, there's a whole lot of chicken restaurants, at least in the U.S., all over the place. I'm not seeing the chickens that represent anywhere close to that number. All right, so we're going on. we got two more here for you. Uh, Jonathan, answer this question for us. What is a trendy item of clothing, shoes, jeans, shirt over your lifetime that you greatly treasure? What was trendy that you love that item of clothing? A Panama Jack shirt. Birkenstocks. Man, I'm not really like a clothing guy like that. Um, Some cool hat. You know, like I'm a, well, back in the day, like a starter jacket, like sports starter oh, yeah. jacket. Yeah. Like any Eagles gear. I got an Eagles hat right now, like an Eagles wool hat, pullover hat, you know, Philadelphia Eagles hat, you know, so just sports, sports items, sports clothing, stuff like that. I'm not as into sports now because I've just been so busy. I've not been, been able to be as into it, but yeah, like any sports item, but starter, man, starter jackets back in the day when I was, when I was young, I'd still wear a starter jacket if I had one. That's for sure. So my favorite football team is the Indianapolis Colts. Does that mean you like me or you don't like me based on Carson Wentz? I like you because I'm glad that we don't have him on our team anymore. Oh. So no no offense. I know, I, I, I've heard Carson's a good guy, but yeah. uh, I'm glad you guys have him. Well, there you go. I guess that means you're a Jalen Hurts fan right there. So I am a Jalen Hurts fan. I mean, at least for now. I'm a Philadelphia fan. That's so right. What have you done for me lately? You know, that's how we roll. <laughs> well, last Christian but not, or non-Christian. <laughs> that's right. Well, last but not least, the important question, who was your first celebrity crush? Tiger Woods. Well, come on, you got to give me a woman. Oh, I can't give you a man. Yeah. <laughs> I had a man crush on Tiger Woods. Well, Let's that's see. true. I can First see. celebrity female crush. Got it. You of all people, um, I expected to have a great answer to this question. Oh, man. Probably Candace Bure back in Full House days would be my guess. Oh, really? You probably. And now she's actually. I, I, you, you know her a bit. Are you she's friends? a friend of mine. I was friend, say. Our families are friends. So, yeah. yeah but Full House, Na- man, back in the day. Is she in Nashville? 
No, she's in California. She spends time here, but she's in California. Okay. Yeah, she's her and Kirk. I'll tell you what. What what a family who's you know is in the entertainment world who's really making a difference for the gospel. Yeah, she's awesome. I actually get to interview her on a um, Christian parenting is doing an, is doing an event online event. I'm getting to interview her in a couple of weeks here. Oh, but she's awesome. Cool. I've, I've gotten to know her pretty well. She was actually friends with Winter. So. Okay, very cool. So, talk to me real quick, and we're going to jump into the a little bit meatier topic to finish here. Talk about uh, four daughters. So, I got a daughter. I treasure my daughter. She has taught me more about Jesus than anybody in my life at 12 years old. But you got four, and you're killing it. So regardless of anything else, talk about being a dad and raising him up, four girls in Christ, teach us. Yeah, all I would say is the thing I've tried to do, and I think it's working, um, I'm still pretty early on, is just to be intentional. You know, uh, the late Holocaust survivor, Ellie Weisel said, the opposite of love is not hate, the opposite of love is indifference. So when we're indifferent towards our children, indifferent to my girls, I actually show hatred towards them, which is a scary thing to think about, but love is being not indifferent, which is actually being really intentional. And so I've, I've just taught to be really intentional, intentionally dating my girls, intentionally seeking out their, um, their interests, even when they're not my interest. Uh, I have to be intentional about paying attention because oftentimes I can be checked out on ministry stuff or checked out on my own interest or checked out on whatever. And so I'm always trying to come back to a place of paying attention. Mm-hmm. And, um, in general, what I've found is that's the thing that my girls care the most about is that I see them. And you and study so them more, that too. Is that fair to say that you study them? Yeah, I think in seeing them, you do study them because the more you see, the more you want to see, you know, mm. and the more you see, the more you realize you don't see. And so you have to study. Amen. And so I would just say, yeah, be intentional. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to have good intentions, but good intentions never got anybody anywhere. It's, you have mm. good intentions to go in the gym, good intentions to eat healthy, but you have to be intentional. And so I just say practice being intentional, um, intentionally dating them, intentionally engaging them in conversation and intentionally confronting them when they need to be confronted. I think oftentimes these days, dads, they don't know how to make sense of their girl's emotions. And so they can tend to just back off. And I think that's actually the worst thing you can do because mm. to them, it says, I don't, you don't actually care. You don't no. care enough to engage them. You're more worried about your own emotions and your own feelings. Mm. So I would just say, just be really intentional. That's what I've tried to do. And what's been beautiful with my girls is they always come back to me. They have issues, they have concerns, um, they have fears, but they come back to me and I'm glad that they do because I get to speak into their lives. Give, they give me permission. Wow. Actually, when, I, when, when Winter died, the thing I was most grateful for is I didn't have to build a relationship with them then. I had already built one through just being intentional with them and it served me well and I'm grateful. It's a gift from God. It was My parents did it, so I, I watched it modeled. It wasn't anything that I've done, you know? So I'm just grateful for just some insight from my parents. Well, you're doing it well. Let me say that. So we're coming down to the home stretch. Let me ask you this. So on February 9th, I said earlier, your book releases on February Mm -hmm. 14th, you have a very significant post on Facebook and it starts out, here we go, dot, 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 long post. The last sentence says it's both exhilarating and frightening, terrifying and unbelievably joyful. And it was a significant, significant post. It got 512 Likes, loves, cares, whatever, and 186 comments. Fill in the gap on that post. Yeah, I think it's 5,000 likes. <laughs> oh, really? A, Did it, I miss the it? The bottom line is in April of 2020, when COVID was, you know, just wreaking havoc on our country, a friend of mine from LA said, Hey, I have a friend. She's 
she's 40, she's single, she loves Jesus. Are you interested in meeting her? And I said, is she crazy? And he said, no, she's an amazing girl. She's been a friend of my wife, my wife and mine for six years and or ten, yeah, some, somewhere six, seven years. And so um, anyway, uh, he showed me a picture and I was like, yeah, I'd like to meet that girl. The challenge is that when you're walking through grief, you know, you build relationships with people that invest in you and then you care about what those people think about your decisions. And I just found myself in a place of real vulnerability and and not sure how, not being sure how to move from the phase I was in into the phase that I'm going into now. And um, I haven't said it in many places because on that post, even I say I'm in a committed, we're just in a committed relationship, but we are actually engaged. And you're one of the first people to hear. Wow. That. I haven't even posted it on social Jonathan, media. It's not I'm trying to hide it. It's just, you know, I've got well, four this girls be released a very for complicated a um, kind of situation that I've really just tried to care first about my family, not about everybody else. And it's honestly as a people pleasing. Yeah. Just a people pleaser, um, a guy that's, always tried to have his reputation in good standing. The thing I've realized the most in this last year is how much I care about what people think more than I care about what God wants oftentimes. And at every sense that God was leading me um, towards PETA is her name. And it just came with a lot of fear and, and apprehension. And so it was a, it was a scary day to go public. And what's been really beautiful is the people that know me and love me have been so supportive. And I've, I've found I found it actually just really beautiful. And so it was a, you know, the here we go was like, gosh, I'm scared out of my mind, but it's time. Yeah, it's been a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful part of my life. And God bringing restoration to me, God bringing restoration to her. We both have epic stories. God being really kind and generous. And I'm loving again in the way I never thought would be possible. And I'm grateful. Jonathan, man, I forget this conversation right now for that's going to be played later on the air i i am super encouraged for you and excited and the love you got i mean just you know I, i've sensed various parts of your life people were commenting from church to city to texas to jersey to cali to whatever and as you said that man that is so exciting thanks man it's a, it just feels like another epic leg of the journey and yeah, it's like, it's just really interesting how God works and he's always working things together and he uses dr evans says he used the good the bad and the ugly and I've seen a little bit of all those and um, yeah, God's, God's good. He's working it all together for good. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun place to be. I've, I've never been, you know, you just progress. Like the best is yet to come. That's how I Amen. feel like God's just continuing to unfold and give me joy in ways I never thought possible. So, you know, my middle son is learning to drive. He's going for his license. And, you know, one of the thoughts I have a lot in life is that what's, what's ahead in the car is much greater than what's behind you in the rear view mirror. And I, I think you're such a great example of that, and that doesn't diminish anything in the rearview mirror. So let's close with this, Jonathan, and I could talk to you for a whole lot longer, certainly, and we'll get opportunities outside of here. But as you look at all this stuff, the life you've lived, which has been a, clearly a full one, a lot of stuff, some, some heartache, where do you really have hope? And what can you say to speak into someone's life, anybody's life, about yeah. hope right now as we look at the world, culture, race, politics, let's get offended by everything, masks, vaccines, whatever. I mean, you've dealt with some very real personal stuff. Where do you just speak through a very focused lens of hope that will spur us on? Yeah. My dad had this jacket he used to wear when I was growing up from this boy's home that he worked at, kind of a nonprofit. It said, my hope is built. Their Kind of their theme sentence was, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. And what I, I just always see that jacket in my mind. 
And I would say through every season I've walked through, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and he's never disappointed. And so, yeah, the racial tensions, the COVID, the mask, like all these dividing things that are happening in our world right now, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. He's literally all I have in the hardest moments of my life. He's, he's been all I've had in the best moments of my life. The most exhilarating moments of my life. I realize how without Jesus, all of it's pointless. And, you know, like I'm a golfer. I love golfing, but I've never played around to golf on the nicest golf courses in the country. I've played some of them and been any more hopeful. I mean, it's been like, that was a fun memory, but it's gone. You know, it's just like my hopes just built on Jesus, man. And in it all, if we're not building our, our foundation on him, then we're building a foundation that's going to fall apart. I know that's kind of like a Christianese kind of thing to say, but it's really, he's all we have. And so I guess my foundation is in Jesus. My foundation, my hope is in his word because it's the only consistent thing that we have that's not going to fail us. So, yeah. I I will say uh, as you speak truth and life there and what you said is very true, I've seen pictures. You are a huge golf fan and you played Pebble Beach. So for you to say that and it fades and it's gone, that is a bold statement because I know you love golf. I know you played. You finally got that Pebble Beach game in, which I was excited for you when you shared that on Facebook after a much long delay. So, Jonathan, I look forward to more. I can't wait till the day we actually see each other and I get to give you a hug. And it's hard to say this sometimes with someone you don't, you know, know, know in a sense that I see you often or whatever. But I love you. I'm blessed by you. I'm encouraged by you. And it certainly was great to have you with us today. One day soon, man. You're a blessing as well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Shine FM Podcast Network.